the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The scriptures tell of the ascension of Christ from two different perspectives. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet sees, quote, One like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one that which shall not be destroyed. End quote. For Daniel, the chief advisor to the Babylonian and Persian imperial courts, the vision of a coronation would be all too familiar in both splendor and, in the case of his line of work, with a touch of irony. He had seen men crown themselves with the pomp and title of king of kings, and he had seen those same men die in their beds or at the edge of the sword. Most unexpected, perhaps, in this vision would be a king who is crowned by none other than God himself, who then certifies the eternal span and scope of the Son of Man's kingdom. This would be a kingship very much unlike the kingships he had witnessed in his job. St. Luke gives us the second perspective in two parts. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus led his disciples, quote, out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, end quote. In Acts chapter 1, St. Luke adds more detail to the account, quote, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received them out from their sight. Together, St. Luke's accounts cement Christ's ascension as the same event described in Daniel's vision. The Son of Man, lifted up from the world, coming with the clouds to the Ancient of Days to sit on God's throne and to rule. It is not insignificant that St. Luke tells this story in two parts. It is both the very end of his gospel and the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. The ascension of Christ is the point of articulation between the earthly ministry of Christ and the continuation of that ministry through his body, the church. As it is inflected by its relation to the gospel, we can see that Christ's ascension is not isolated from his life and passion. As St. Paul says to the Ephesians, quote, now, that he is, now, and now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far up above all heavens, that he might fill all things, end quote. Jesus Christ has ascended on high, but his ascension is not separable from first his descent into the lowest parts of all things, into hell itself. In this, he keeps his own word to the disciples when he says, quote, whoever would be great among you. Let him be as one who serves, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
Christ is the one who, St. Paul says, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, God has exalted him above all things. The two are always linked. They are both referred to doctrinally as Christ's exaltation, both his suffering and being lifted up on the cross, and then his ascension, being lifted up to the throne of God. The enthronement of Christ we celebrate today is the good fruit of his faithful and innocent suffering, culminating in the crucifixion. It is the Father's vindication of the Son in the face of the world that killed him. Christ's ascension establishes a pattern to aid our understanding of the kingdom. The one who is greatest in the kingdom is the one who offered the most complete and sacrificial gift of himself. The most exalted of his saints in heaven, his mother, is magnified in all generations because of her yes to God and submission, total submission, to the mission of Christ. Greatness in the kingdom is at once the degree of sacrificial and self-giving love. Heaven, because of this, is no blandly idyllic place. It is the throne room into which enter those who, with Christ, have conquered the world and have the scars to show for it. The faithful and triumphant cloud of martyrs who surround Christ and thus surround us in Christ as we sojourn through the world. The privilege of sitting in glory with him is always also the privilege of carrying our cross behind him. Our Lord identifies with all who do so from his throne. He is no passive king. As we see in the martyrdom of St. Stephen, Christ stands up for his holy ones so that they might sit as co-conquerors with him. The ascension of Christ is the ascension of all those who are in Christ. It reveals that the destiny of those who suffer with him is to be glorified like him. The vision of St. John in Revelation returns us to the throne room of Christ after all of these things. Quote, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Christ goes up that he may lift us up with him, empowering and ennobling us through the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says, quote, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Ascension, seen in this way, is the foundation of Pentecost to take place in ten days. The gifts we are to receive at the coming of the Spirit are the gifts of Christ who, receiving all things from the Father, bestows those gifts upon us according to his delight and that we might be perfected through patient suffering like him and be made to share that destiny of glory with him. We see a vision of our destiny just before being sent on the mission to achieve it.
The ascension of Christ will always challenge the world's relentless struggle for power and its attempt to imitate the authority of King Jesus. And this is a particularly poignant thing for us to remember in our own place and time. All around us is the grim evidence of our devotion to an imitative and satanic power and a devotion to death itself. As our society regresses into a post-Christian and neo-pagan culture of death, we are witnesses as members of the church to the fruitlessness, first of all, of that toiling for power and authority detached from sacrifice and self-gift. We see how the world has embraced insubstantial leadership and decadent celebrity. We see all the ways that we want the kingdom, or at least say we do, but then refuse the self-denial that is the trailhead to that kingdom. But the exaltation of Christ to the cross, and then his exaltation out of the tomb, and then his exaltation to heaven, these altogether shame the pervasive and cancerous will to power by calling us to suffer and die to self before we begin to see our potential for glory. After all, the kingdom around the crucified king is an upside-down kingdom. All pretender kings and gods have been thrown down. And from now on, only those who know and confess they are weak may become strong. And only those, and all those who are strong of themselves will be toppled from their seats. Ascension tide is brief, but it is an intensified test of our humility and patience. For us now is to obey and to wait for ten days in prayer. We are called to refuse the immediacy of vain enthusiasm and instead persist in a steady and hopeful joy with one another. As the psalmist says, quote, we wait for the loving kindness of the Lord in the midst of his temple. We wait for the Spirit to descend upon us as he did on Jesus at the Jordan River, ready to lead us to contend with the world and death its master, ready to lead us to the victory of the cross, and ready to lift us at the end to the arms of the Father. The journey ahead will not be easy, but now we know the end, and that end is worth the cost. Thus, quote, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.